great time to kick off our time together uh, today. Uh, sweet time of worship and seeing these families is always a blessing. And I'm incredibly grateful and thankful to be able to be a part of a church with so many young families. We are overwhelmed uh, in our preschool, our babies area in the back, and we know that. And uh, it's exciting. It's a good thing. Uh, I'd much rather have kids running around and taking up all of our space than to have empty spaces. So we're, we're thankful. So I wanted to share what I've already shared with uh, many of the kids, uh, volunteers already as we met together. Um, we're still paying on this building, and we will for a little while probably. Um, but we're going to go ahead and move forward, and then within the next couple of months, we'll begin construction on a kid's building where our playground currently is. Um, we're going to build a 60 by 50 uh, space. It's going to be a space dedicated to our kindergarten, to fifth grade kids, to be able to have a place that allows them to be able to encounter God in a fun, exciting, engaging way, in a way that we've wanted to for a while. Space just has not allowed us to. So we're excited about moving forward. And I know it's easier, and I want to thank you guys for your patience. It's so much easier just to show up at something that's just kind of ready to go, plug and play. Um, but every now and then, God calls out people to see something, to watch him create something from nothing. And I'm telling you from that perspective, it is so fun to be able to watch and see this move. And there are bumps along the way. There are times you have to be patient and you realize things aren't clicking as quickly as you want. But now to be able to watch this, it's going to be so fun. In a few years, some of these middle school, high schoolers are going to look back and see the kids' area and go, man, we didn't have that. They're going to complain about it, but that's okay. It's all about growing and before you know it, 80-year-old Christy and I are going to come back and visit the bridge and see all you and go, man, it would have been so much easier if we had, but it's, it's fun to be able to watch God move and to be a part of that. So those of you who have been patient and you've watched slowly as things have been building upon each other, thank you so much because it is going to be so worth it to watch God's kingdom grow with these kids. But we're going to build that building and to be able to dedicate all of the kids' space just to our babies and preschoolers to give them some space to spread out and be able to have an environment that's suited for them. And we're really, really excited about it. Now, many of you have been faithful and you have given and given and given, probably even when it hurt, and you allowed us to continue moving on and you allowed us to survive through the pandemic and through all the ups and downs and things that happened. And we're so grateful. But I know some of you are just cause givers or you're new to the whole process and you didn't, like me, have a dad that every time someone handed you a dollar, he slapped you on the hand and said, 10 of that's going back to the Lord. You know, I kind of had that growing up, and so it's been a part of my life, and it has not been a part of everyone's life, and I get that. So if you're a cause giver, I'm telling you, investing in the souls of young people is a cause worth giving to. And so if that's something that you've been praying about, I just want you to know that's happening, and you'll see some ground turn, and you'll see that begin uh, very soon. And we're excited about building that for our kids, and we're actually going to expand this room as well. So cool stuff happening. It's, it's a fun, fun thing to look forward and say, God's doing something cool. So we're excited about that. And I'm assuming right now, if you're watching online, you have no idea, but we have a bird that's joined our, uh, joined our church fellowship. He has not gone through all in, which starts tomorrow night, so he needs to sign up for that. Um, but he has just pushed himself on us. And so I'm going to, I don't know what the next 28 minutes is going to hold, but... Um, it's probably not going to be the way I had prayed and planned, and I, I know that. I don't know what else to do. Um, so if you just, you'll be entertained if nothing else, but I hope it goes uh, beyond that, and I'm going to do my best to ignore it and move on, and um, I'm hoping you can figure out a way to do the same. We're going to begin a new series 
uh, today. I'm calling it PB&J because we know that peanut butter is good, jelly is good, but together they're better. And the truth is most of us experience the most significant times of our lives in the context of relationship. Very few of us went to a lecture and it changed the course of our lives. Um, We might have, but most of the time that's not what it was. We've read books that have certainly impacted our lives, but it probably didn't come from a book. Most of the time, God does those transformative big moments in our lives. He does those things, accomplishes those things rather, through relationship, um, through being together with other people. And there are people throughout the story of God whose name is mentioned, and it seems like always with another name. You rarely see the one name without hearing about the other. And I'm going to highlight over the next couple of weeks a few of those relationships. And it's like peanut butter and jelly. The names just kind of go together. They're uh, depending on what generation you're uh, a part of, they're peanut butter and jelly, it's burgers and fries, it's Mork and Mindy, it's Zach and Cody, it's whatever, you date yourself, however, but those relationships, you just get those names thrown together. And today we're going to look at Ruth and Naomi. Ruth, we don't know much about her relationship with her mom, but we know that Ruth had a unique relationship with her mother-in-law, and who doesn't, but anyway, had a unique relationship with her mother-in-law, and her mother-in-law was Naomi. So we don't know much about uh, you know, Ruth's family, but we know about the family she was married into. So let me share that with you. Um, before Ruth and Naomi were together, Naomi was married and she was living in Bethlehem. There was a famine in the land. People were losing their lives and people were trying to provide and take care of their families. And Naomi had a husband who said, we've got to get out of town. We've got to get out of here to be able to save ourselves. And so he moved his family to a different country. So they left Bethlehem and Judea to a place called Moab, and they lived in Moab. While they were there, they had two sons, and their two sons ended up falling in love with two ladies from Moab, two Moabites, and they married both of those ladies. So there was Naomi and her husband, their two sons, and then their sons' daughters, or uh, wives, rather. While they were there... Um, The plan was always to go back to Bethlehem. But while they were there, Naomi's husband passed away. So she's widowed there in a country that is not her own. So she told her family, when the famine is over, I'm going back to Bethlehem. I'm going back home. Well, while they were still waiting on the famine to end, tragically, she also lost both of her sons. So she's widowed, and now she has two daughters-in-law who are also widowed. And the three of them are living in Moab, where the girls are from, but not where Naomi is from. So they make a decision that we're going to go back. So Naomi packs up everything. The two daughters-in-law pack up things with her, and they begin to head back towards Bethlehem. That while they're there, Naomi stops. She stops them in the process and says, hold on a minute. This this is not right. Uh, This shouldn't happen. And here's what she says in verse 8. Naomi said to her her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud. And she said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. 
incredibly sad picture of this older lady looking at her two daughters-in-law saying, you guys go live your lives. I'll be okay. My life is over, but yours has just begun. I have nothing to look forward to. You have everything to look forward to if you'll just stay. Just let me walk this dusty road with all my stuff by myself and go back to Bethlehem. It didn't sound like a choice, but she said, this is, this is no good. This is not a good place for you. So she had enough integrity and loyalty about her to realize that they were just going with her because they felt like they had to. So she freed them, released them, and said, go back, find another husband, begin a new season of your life, and just begin again. But in verse 16, it says, at this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. In each of these PB&J moments, in each of these commitments... Uh, or in each of these relationships, rather, there's one word that I want us to pull out, a theme, and this one is commitment. The thing that we learn in this relationship, the thing that God teaches us in this relationship is simply the word commitment. Ruth, commitment to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And if you read through the rest of the story, which we're not going to today, you'll find that she actually kept that commitment. She stayed true to her. She stayed with Naomi to the very end. And God ultimately had a brand new season and a brand new chapter for her that she would never have known. I feel it. I know it's there. Had never had known had she said, I'll just go back with, my, with Orpah. I'll go back with my sister-in-law. We'll begin again. It was, it was okay with her. She decided to keep her commitment. So what I want us to do now is to just explore for just a few moments this idea of commitment. Because all of us have made commitments. We've made promises. We've made vows. We've given our word. We've signed up for stuff. We said, I'll be there. Whether it was a paid job or a volunteer job, whether it was a meeting you'll be at or a team you're going to coach, or whether it was a promise to a neighbor, a friend, to a spouse, to a child, we've all made all kinds of commitments. And although we all know what it is to make a commitment, we also all know what it is to break a commitment. We've all said things that we didn't come through on. We've all said things to employers, employees, to husbands, to wives, to kids, to friends, to God himself. We said, I'll do this. I promise you can count on me or I'll never do that again. Whatever the case is, we've all done that. and We've all broken promises along the way. Just a few moments ago, we had a dozen families stand up here with more than a dozen kids. And they said, we are going to commit ourselves right now to raising these kids to love God, to honor him, to understand who he is. We're going to model this before them. And at the same time, do you know how many tens of thousands of children have been held in their parents' arms in a church service and had those same things and same prayers said over them, and now they belong to unchurched families? It's thousands and thousands and thousands. But here's the thing. No one stood up there and just said, I'm going to say something. I'm just going to lie. I don't really want this to happen. I'm going to say it. There was an intention to, fall, to go through with that. There was an intention to follow up. 
And then when I think about that, I can't help but then turn and think about all the times that I have broken promises to people that I loved and cared about. How many times I've said things that I didn't fall through on. Uh, last week, my wife and I were away. It was the first time we've been away from you guys uh, since last fall. Uh, September, I think, was the last Sunday we were away. So it felt really strange to be away from you. But we just needed to get away and to be alone and to have our time together. So we went to Asheville, North Carolina, spent some time. I said, honey, let's go to the Biltmore, and I'll show you what I had intended to do for you. Let me show you the life that I had intended to give you. Um, Let's just pretend, just for a day, that I actually kept my word and gave you the princess life that you deserve. So we we saw the Biltmore and did all that kind of thing. But while we were driving around, going to some small towns in the mountains just to see stuff, we uh, were driving up the interstate, and I saw the sign to the cove, which, if you're not familiar with it, there is a place that's set aside... Uh, by Billy Graham and his association. Billy Graham was a world-famous evangelist, a friend of presidents all the way through, just an incredible man. If you're younger than 20, you might not even know who Billy Graham is, and we'll spend some time on the internet later, and uh, not now, but later, and look that up. But just an incredible, incredible man, and my wife and I went to that. We walked around the chapel, had a really cool time. I got to stand in one of the pulpits, which is a place where a preacher would stand behind to preach. I got to get in one of those pulpits and kind of just pretend and be in a place where an awesome man like that was. And then we went down below, and there is a museum of sorts. It's just really one room about the size of this one. That You walk through, and there were just pictures and videos and stuff. And we walked down, and they had playing the hymn, Just As I Am, which was the hymn that was played at the very end of every one of his uh, sermons, and they would invite people to come to know Jesus. And, and as soon as my wife and I walked down those steps and entered that place, it hit me. It, it hit me hard. And I couldn't speak. I had, I had not trouble breathing, but I couldn't get anything out, the frog in your throat thing. And I was having a moment. I looked over at my wife, and she was kind of having one too. But I was like, I can't be a husband right now. You deal with your emotions. <laughs> I was like, I got my own to deal with now. And I just walked by myself around. I'm going to tell you, the hard part for me was all I did was walk around and remember promises that I had made God when I was first called into ministry. And I wanted so badly for God to use me like he used Billy. I wanted there to be a half a million people over a lifetime that said yes to Jesus through that. And I thought back all the times when I'd say, God, you can count on me. I'm your man. I'm your man. I'm your man. Bring it on, bring it on, bring it on. And throughout my lifetime, I look back at how many times I had not kept those promises. And it was just overwhelming. I mean, there's a sense of mercy, too. I, God was saying, I've still got you. You're not done yet. No, I'm still working through you. There were, I had, no, it was fine. I left okay, but I came back. Um, but I had that moment where I was just overwhelmed and swamped with this wave of unkept promises that I had made to God which ultimately filtered into promises I'd made to my friends and all that stuff. It's a hard, hard time. So I want us to think through the idea of commitment because I think I'm not the only one who at times struggles to keep his word and keep promises that he's made. But before we get to how we can better do that, I want to share with you a few things. Let's answer the question, what are the consequences of an unkept commitment? When we don't keep our commitment, I'll do this quickly. One, I drain hope and courage from others. What I mean by that is every time I don't keep my word with you, it takes a little bit of your ability away to trust other people. Because every time we have someone break trust with us, we bring up our walls a little bit. We just begin to protect ourselves. Every time it happens. 
whether it's from someone we love, we know, an acquaintance, whatever the case is, walls go up. And I don't want to be a part of making it difficult for other people to hope and to believe, to trust. I don't want to be a part of that, but I know it happens every time because I do it. There have been moments I will never forget in my life, sitting across tables from people who said, Chad, you can trust me. And I've trusted, and I've been burned, and it hurts, and so I begin to build up walls. So I preach to you, guys, have those moments of transparency and have authentic, genuine relationships with people. Oh, I'm not, but you can. Like, it's for you. Like it's, it's good for you. I just don't because I've been burned too much, and we can all do that with each other. I drain a little hope and courage every time I don't keep my word to someone. Now, we can forgive and move on. We do that. We do that with people that we love. We even do that in our most important relationships. I'm sure there are moments when I go to my wife and I say, Christy, I'm sorry, I messed up. She says, I forgive you, and then builds up the wall a little bit. It happens again, I forgive you, and then I spend the rest of my life trying to break down those walls. You can trust me. But she says, I want to believe, but I've just, it's a hard thing. And every time I don't keep my word, I do that to someone else. And number two, I destroy my own confidence. Every time I don't keep a promise, it's a, it's a knock on me, and it's a little bit of a punch. Now, I can do what most men do, and I can turn around, but I don't keep my word and say, no one's perfect. I didn't mean to. It wasn't my fault. I didn't mean to say it. I didn't mean to even promise that. We can we say whatever we want to say. But eventually, we look in the mirror and just see us for who we are and say, what's your problem, man? Why can't you get it together? Why can't you just do what you say you're going to do? Why can't you just keep your word? And when you begin to doubt yourself, you begin to assume that God doubts you as well. And there is a weird, weird self-image distortion thing that happens when you start to see yourself in a way that's not healthy because you assume God does. So those, that's the power of unkept commitments. The other question is, why do we struggle to keep our commitments? Why do we have a hard time just doing what we say we're going to do? Well, I think two things. One, I think we have careless words. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that comes out of our mouth. Family stood on stage earlier. They all said some things. Before that, you were all standing and singing, and you said some things. Then when we pray together, either silently or out loud, you said some more things. And when you leave here today, and people go, hey, hey I didn't see you today. I didn't know you went to this church. You're going to just say some things. Like, hey, I didn't know you went here. Let's get together. And you're just going to say some things. Try this next time that happens. Someone says, hey, I didn't know you went to this church. We need to get together. Just be honest and say, you know what? That's probably never going to happen. All right. Happy Mother's Day. Like, that would be much easier. Let's just go ahead and get it out there. Like, hey, I haven't seen you forever. I miss you. I miss you too. Well, let's get together. Okay, no, no. All right. No. Like, let's just do that. Let's save a lot of time. But we don't because we, that's an incredibly awkward moment. And the people across go, what? I just... I, Truth is, we know in our hearts we're never going to do it, but we don't want to be rude. That we just, we don't, we're not even uh, practiced up on that. We don't even know how to do that. How do you tell someone no? We just talk. We just say things. And then also, in addition to that, we commit based on our feelings way too much. We have an emotional thing, and we just commit. And if you look at Ruth, she's holding on to Naomi, her mother-in-law, grasping her, holding her, everybody's crying. Orpah's leaving her, and Naomi says, it'll be okay. I'm old and widowed, but I guess I'll take my bag and walk to Bethlehem. I mean, how do you, <laughs> no, I'll go with you. Like, I wonder if on day three in Bethlehem, Ruth thought, 
what did I get myself into? What was I thinking? I don't want to live here. I don't even know these people. This is a, but she made the commitment. And if you read through the rest of the book, you know she kept her commitment. But so often we make commitments based on feelings. We haven't prayed about it. We haven't thought about it. We haven't asked one godly person in our life if this is a good idea. We just do it. We sign up for it. We say it. And we don't follow through with it. We break people's trust. We destroy our own confidence with ourselves. It just begins this avalanche of struggle. And it was because we just commit on our feelings. I feel this way, therefore I'll do this. I'm feeling this, hey, what about this? Never stop and just make our decisions, our promises, our vows, whatever the case may be, based on our faith. So what is a commitment? Let me give you a a definition quickly here. A commitment is a covenant kept without regard for convenience. It's a covenant kept without regard for convenience. I'm telling you I'm going to do this. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter when you ask me about this or when you want to do it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to keep my word. Now, there are certainly some things that happen in life that keep us from being able to do things, health and different, different things. But I think we all understand what we're talking about here. We don't just say, I'll do that, and then, oh, I'm, Tuesdays are no good for me. I'm really tired. I worked a double shift. I, I've committed. I've given you my word. I'm going to do this. I'm going to sink into this. I'm all in with this. And it doesn't matter how I feel or how convenient or inconvenient it is, I'm going to follow through with what I say. So how can we be like Ruth? How can we keep our own commitments? I want to briefly close by giving you a few examples here of how we can best do that. Number one is ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. We've all broken people's hearts. We've all broken people's trust. Just go to someone and say, listen, I gave you my word. I didn't follow through. I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. I want to take responsibility for breaking this. Up until now, I've had a million reasons and a million excuses, and they all sound good to me in my head, but the truth is I did not do what I said I was going to do. Number two, accept forgiveness. Say, well, I, I can't accept it until they give it, and what if they don't give it? I don't mean from people. I mean from God. God doesn't have to decide whether or not he's going to forgive you. He says, I'm giving that stuff freely to you. I've already decided it. I decided it when I sent my son to die in your place. I've already paid that price. I'm ready to forgive. Just receive it. And the people that you've actually hurt, they may never give you those words that you want to hear. It's okay. I forgive you. But you can still go ahead and accept the forgiveness that God has given you, that he's paid to be able to give you. So go ahead and accept that to move on. Number three, record the blessings. What I mean by that is take note of, write down, record, put it in your notes in your phone, whatever. Record the blessings. I mean moments that it blessed you to be able to keep your word. Moments where you thought, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go to this thing. I'm tired. I don't want to. Why did I sign up for this? Why did I tell her I would do that? And then you follow through with it and you realize, wow, I would have missed out on this had I not done this. Just to remind yourself down the road, this is the blessing of keeping my word. This is the blessing of keeping a commitment. Number four, record the burns. Not just the blessings, but the burns as well. What I mean by that are moments where not keeping your commitment costs you. Don't do this so you can relive the pain and, and punish yourself again. But just so that in your heart you'll think, I can't, I can't do this again. The last time I broke my word on this, the last time I violated the code, This happened, and I do not ever want to go back here again, so I I don't want to forget this. So record the burns as well. Number five, see them. And by that, I mean create reminders for yourself 
when you make a commitment, when you make a promise, find something that will remind you daily, maybe even moment by moment of what you've done. I've got a wedding ring to remind myself 24 hours a day that I'm taken, that I belong to someone else. And if I ever have the ability, the opportunity to make a stupid decision, I can say, Christy, because Christy, because covenant, because promise, I can look down and do that. And I don't know what your commitments and promises you've all made. We've all got all sorts in our lives. But you need to do something that reminds you of that. I remember in my college years, um, I lived, I moved off campus, and I was living with some friends. And um, when you know, we were by ourselves, we didn't always watch preaching on TV. I just kind of just let that go and just not go there anymore. Um, and I knew as a 20-year-old guy, if God's going to do his work in me, that can't be a part of me going forward. Like, that can't be my life. And I was struggling, and I thought, I, I don't know what it is, but I'm alone. I have no accountability. I, so I did, I'll just let you laugh at me for a little bit. I know it's funny. But um, I thought, this is what I'm going to do. So when I would leave my apartment, I took my Bible, and I would lay it on the coffee table. I put the remote in it, and I would close the Bible. So when I got home, no matter what I wanted to watch, I had to go through the Holy of Holies to get that thing out and turn it on. So I thought, if that's the situation we're in, I'll need more help than that. I thought, if nothing else, i got to go in God's Word to pull it out. And that was a little bit of a deterrent for sure. You know? um, so just see it. Have those moments, whether it's a post-it note, whether it's just a picture, whether it's a reminder, a, a something on your, your phone, your screensaver, your verse, your person, your child, whatever it is to say, no because this, no because that, or yes because this. And then share them, number six. When you have those promises, share them with other people for the sake of accountability. Be able to have someone else who can say, you told me that you had made a vow, a commitment, a promise to be this way. Man, while we were out, that was messed up. Like, I don't, I don't think that's a smart thing. I just want you to know I, I'm struggling there. It'll frustrate you. You'll get defensive. But you need someone in your life who cares about your future enough, who cares about your promises enough just to say something. Um, around that same time, I mean, I was able to share some of those commitments with my, my roommate because it was, there was an obvious question of, why is my remote in your Bible? About that. Let's talk, okay? You know, so, so then it opens up a whole new discussion, you know, where you've got him going, me too, man. We're like, well, let's help each other through this. You know, it's just you're able to share that and be able to hold each other accountable. You need some help with that. So share them. And then the last thing is just speak them. Whatever those promises and vows are, don't be afraid to just talk to yourself throughout the day, just loudly at times. Um, I don't know how spiritual warfare all works out. I know demons are real. I know Satan is real. I know he tries to set up traps and schemes. God's word tells me that. I get all that. But I don't know if he listens to me. I don't think he's paying attention to the sermon right now. I don't think he listens during the day maybe. I don't know, but I talk to him anyway. And there are times I just go throughout my day and say, no, because Christy. Not today because Brock, that's my son. Like, my son needs a dad who fights hard for godliness. So, nope, not all. I'll just talk. I'm in my truck going, and I'm, I'll hear something on the radio, have a thought go through, have an idea, have an opportunity. Nope, because of this. There are times when you're my reason. I have to go, nope, my church family is depending on me to spend time, whether or not I feel like it, with God in order to strengthen myself to be prepared to shepherd them. Or because my daughter, Madison. Uh, Brock, my, my mom and dad, whatever, it is, just because of this, because of the future hopes and plans and dreams, God, you placed in me, because I speak my why more and more. I don't have silent battles anymore. It's loud. 
I know the promises and vows I've made. I know the things I need to keep. And I'm not going to allow anything to do that, even feeling silly when I'm talking out loud, saying, nope, I just declare it out loud. And I don't know, I know there's, that's not an exhaustive list, but I don't know what the promises are you've made, but I know they're incredibly important. And every time we keep a vow, we are modeling the commitment that God has made to us, and it makes a difference. And people are watching our lives And the more faithful we are and the more integrity we have with each other and the way we keep our words and keep our commitments, it says something about what we believe and it says something about who we believe. So do not discount or discredit the power of the promises you've made and the power of keeping those. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us enough to make a promise and commitment to us. Thank you for loving us enough to keep your word. And now we have a chance to reflect your character and your integrity by being people who keep our word, keep our commitments. God, whether there are promises of purity or morality or health or fitness or diet or relationships or our relationships with our spouses or relationships with our parents or our kids, whatever the case is, whatever things we've said we will do, God, help us to be people who step up to the plate regardless and just do them. Help us to be accountable to each other, to be trustworthy, so that we can know what it is to live in unity, live in context of community. Thank you for the people you've placed in our lives that help us learn these lessons along the way. And God, I pray that we will understand the power of leaning on each other like Ruth and Naomi did. Thank you for the faith you've given us. And if there's anyone in this place today who's not a follower of Jesus, I pray today they would cry out, call out to you, and find hope, find salvation. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.